Hey everyone, this is Know Your Potential, NYP episode 19, where we talk about interest rate hikes, possible recession, depression, crypto winter, and Ethereum merge updates. You're listening to Know Your Potential with David and Phil Nyo, your source for motivational insight and discussion of all things relating to business, technology, and life. We banter and interview like-minded individuals, striving to be the best version of themselves, generate value for society, and achieve the life they want to live. Hey, everyone. You've been waiting a long, long time for this. Uh, We are back. I'm here with David Ngo. And uh, yes, it's been a while since we've had a new episode, but here we are, David. Say hi. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's been a little while. We haven't been here. Uh, Life has just been busy. Uh, Phil has taken on a new job recently at the chain safe and he's been like taking care of how many people are you managing there now? Uh, so my team right now is like seven engineers and myself. seven engineers. So yeah. you've been pretty nonstop busy working all around the clock because all your teammates are all around the world right? they're not just in an office in Toronto. All around the world, like literally like every time zone, major time zone across the globe, except for Australia. <laughs> But yes, that that's exactly why like that, like, uh, we'll go right into that as soon as we, um, you know, have, there's a bunch of topics that we've laid out today, because so much crap is going down right now. All around the world, there are problems everywhere. We're talking about recessions, depressions, interest rate hikes, uh, COVID, Ukraine war, there's everything, everything possible for a perfect uh, storm is, is all in the works right now. So um, we've had a lot of people talking to us, asking us about what to do with money, how to beat, in, how to beat inflation and what to do with their money. So, uh, you know, it's been a while and I thought it was a good time for us to kind of have another episode and just uh, shoot the shits. For sure. But first things first, David, we've been noticing that you've been cloning yourself on Instagram. That's not true, right? God, Phil, you ha- if only you knew. Uh, some mornings I wake up and I'll have like 30 messages from friends or family saying, hey, is this your new account? Is this your new account? And as soon as that happens, I, I just get so deflated. I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to message everybody and let them all know it's not me. Uh, so what, what's been happening recently is there's been a whole bunch of clone accounts that's been, going, that's been pretty much cloning my account and messaging all my followers, pretending to be me, um, you know, asking them if uh, they're, how their trading is going, if they want to improve on their trading. And all they have to do is send fake me some money and I'm going to triple, quadruple their money in a matter of two days. Uh, so it's been a lot of people I've been uh, replying back to saying, no, it's not me. It's not me. Uh, I've, I've even had to post it on my page just to let people know. Uh, you're pretty much, pretty much doing my part and letting everyone know like, hey, it is not me. Don't send fake me any money. And uh, if you do, that's kind of your loss, right? Yeah. So just to make like a, a large disclaimer here in terms of like, you know, your Instagram and stuff, if you get a message from David, asking you for stuff like this do not do not reply um like don't well, what reply. should they do just block honestly so i already made a little list previously on my uh, on my page which i posted but i'll bring up these points again just to make it very uh clear and simple for everyone to kind of uh be be smart and vigilant when it comes to people contacting you pretending to be somebody else asking for money uh simple things would be like one just check the handle see if it actually is the real handle or if it's one character, one letter, one number off from what the real one is. Um, that'd be obviously the first way. Uh, a second way actually is to look on their page to see when all the pictures were posted. 
So for example, when a scammer pretty much clones my page, what they'll do is they'll take all my pictures, all my posts from everything and put it all up on the same day. So if you see all the pictures were posted all on the same day, obviously it's not my real account. Uh, and, if you, if, and if any of these guys starts messaging you and talking to you, ask them questions, ask personal questions that only I would have the answer to. Um, kind of like, when was the last time we saw each other? How long have we known each other? Or even something like, hey, can we FaceTime? And as soon as you ask that and they say no, well, you obviously know it's going to be a fake. Um, another thing, you, what you should be doing is if these people contact you, try to have the courtesy to message your friend and let them know that someone is cloning your account or pretending to be you. Because what happens is a lot of times when people send me these accounts, I can't even see it. I can't even access it. It says uh, cannot find user. So pretty much, you know, when you let me know that there are people cloning my accounts, I'll, I'll post it on my page just to let people know as well. So that way, try to help others from getting scammed. Um, really, you know what it is when anybody's asking you for money to send them money as a friend, be smart, be vigilant, and don't just randomly send it because you think it's actually them. And um, you have no idea how many friends I have pretty much messaging me as a joke. Hey, Dave, where's my thousand dollars that I sent you? Where's my, where's my, where's my crypto? Where's my, this, you said you would pay me back tomorrow. I'm like, sorry, man, it's a no refund policy. So that's pretty much the main thing we, I wanted to get out of the way is scammers. Screw these scammers. Um, be smart, be vigilant and don't send money to, to anybody just online, just because you got a message from them. Did you get those messages also Phil? Um, not entirely. Honestly, I haven't been on Instagram much, <laughs> but but I do have uh, like friends who, you know, screenshot uh, clones and tell me to tell you. So there's oh, things that's like cool. that. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty nice that your friends notice and they tell you to tell me also. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you should take it as like a compliment in the sense that like, damn, David, David has been in the world. Everybody wants to be David. Um, <laughs> Everybody wants know, some money from him. Well, the, the funny thing is nobody's getting any money from me. That's, that's a reality, right? Like people are just trying to get money from my followers. So again, the reality is, I'm hoping that my followers, friends, families, uh, they're all too smart to be sending money to these, you know, scammers. So that's pretty much what it is. And there's not much else I can do other than to warn my followers. Right. And just, you know, overall, it's like hard times for a lot of people. People are really starting to feel the pinch now. Um, I've been getting a lot of like DMs for like, join this crypto pump, uh, this trading group or whatever. Like it, you can sense that, the hard times are coming and people are actually feeling it now. And a lot of it has to do with the, the macroeconomics of just the way the world is going at the moment. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's really what it is, right? With like the more scammers that are popping up, um, that's how you can kind of tell how the, the world is going on right now. Meaning um, people are desperate. I mean, in terms of, you know, regular day-to-day -day people trying to make extra money or trying to um, you know, when, when a scammer tells you, hey, send me $1,000 and I can give you another $1,000 in a week, uh, some people fall for that just because you know, I don't want to say that they're naive or stupid. It might be more of like a desperate times calls for, you know, believing desperate um, opportunities is what it is, right? But again, the reality is doubling your money overnight or someone saying I'm going to guarantee X amount of money for you. I don't think that's the, the reality of what life is like. So if you fall for it, I'm really sorry that you did. It just probably means that you needed or you were hoping for it to be true. Yeah. Don't, don't let them play off of your emotions for sure. Like gen generally you should always question uh, these sort of things and being like, this, this sounds way too good to be true. A lot of the times it pays well to be very skeptical about things, which is usually a hard challenge that I have 
um, when it comes to telling people about crypto and, and Web3 and stuff like that, um, because, you know, people, some people don't understand or they may have a history of being scammed. So it's, you know, it's, it's always better to, to have that extra guard up and just question everything, um, which is sort of like the basis of, of how I live my life. Because if, if, if someone's offering you like 100% APR on something, but you have no idea where this 100 APR is coming from, chances are you're not getting, a hun- you're, you're not getting your money doubled. <laughs> no, never. I mean, again, yeah. if it was that easy, um, they wouldn't be trying to ask you to give them money to help them double their, your money, right? They would do it themselves pretty much. Exactly. So like a lot of the times, like especially in like DeFi in the crypto world, where people are selling you on like 20% APR on something. I mean, you can already see a bunch of these centralized entities already having liquidation problems. Celsius is, is gone now. Luna was a big thing that just disappeared. Um, you know, so many people have, have lost money, but they were sucked into this narrative of um, we can offer you 20% APR on your UST, which is like a US dollar stable coin by, by Luna. And they're they're gone they, they just don't exist anymore yeah i mean all of that pretty much went down so quick I, could, I think in a matter of days uh billions of dollars got wiped out off of the uh you know the whole crypto industry specifically yep. because of luna and celsius so i mean right, right now the the big war that's going on around the crypto sphere is uh the crypto winter we're going through and it's uh one hell of a fucking cold winter this one is going to be yeah, I think um, so it's very interesting because we've been through like quite a few bear markets before, uh, Dave, and and this one is is going to be very interesting only because crypto is still very much correlated as a risk on assets in the macroeconomic realm. So when you think of like even tech companies, um, like Netflix has been down like more than more than half in the last few months, yeah. like all these established tech companies are also feeling the pinch too. The, yeah, those are real companies, you know, they're not cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, Facebook is down, Peloton, all, all these tech companies are feeling the crunch because they are technically what's considered risk on assets. Um, and of course, crypto would be even more risk on and you're starting to see the correlation of everything falling including Bitcoin, Ethereum, and such. Well, and pretty much, you know, what, what it is, is the past few years, because interest rates have been so, so, so low, near like 0%, uh, people were more risk adverse, right? You can borrow 100,000, you can borrow a million dollars and pay little to no interest on it. And the whole idea and concept behind this was borrow money for cheap or free, technically, put it into assets that hopefully grow. And even if that asset only grows a few percent a year, uh, the fact that you don't have to pay anything to borrow that money, that's straight up money into your pocket, right? So more and more people kept borrowing money, which kept inflating the price for all the stocks, for crypto, for everything. And, um, you know, since what, November of last year is when everything started to kind of go opposite, going downwards. So, I mean, interest rates started to go up. People started realizing, hey, free, free, money, free money is not here forever. And as you mentioned before, Phil, there's really no such thing as free money, right? Like, it might be, it might seem like it's free, but somebody somewhere is paying for that free money one way or another. And generally, um, especially if it's the government creating these sort of massive deficits, it's, it's actually costing all of us as the public. 
Um, so when the, the when governments have been on a spending spree uh, for the last two years now during the entire pandemic, because what they were trying to do is re-stimulate the economy by injecting or printing money out of thin air. And by you injecting more of this money so that we could avoid, you know, all, all of this, um, all of the after effects of being locked down and stuff like that, they put way too much gas on that pedal. And now they're busy trying to flip it back the other way. See, and the problem with this is that even though they were putting out all this money available to be borrowed and used to, to help with the economy, uh, I would think that most most regular day-to-day -day people did not take advantage of that or did not know how to take advantage of that, right? It's, it's, I would say it's more of the big corporate guys who, who know how to do it, who, have, who can borrow the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to buy up all these assets and increase all these prices. And uh, that's kind of what's making everything so damn expensive. And uh, the regular person day-to-day -day can't afford these things anymore because they didn't have the, the credit to borrow these tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And for them, though they got the SERB payment of a few hundred dollars um, each month, again, it didn't make a huge difference in their life because though you're getting that 2000 a month, um, you know, the cost of homes went up. I don't know. I don't even know how much. I think like, four, I would say 30, 40% for some certain homes I've seen in the past couple of years. Uh, cottages I've seen have, have gone up drastically as well. So, I mean, all this, you know, value going up is coming from somebody somewhere, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's one of those, the price keeps going up and it's kind of like handing off a hot potato. Like who is willing to pay the highest price until it collapses? And I, I think we're near that point now where everyone realized, hey, it's starting to, you know, tumble. It's like a domino effect and everyone's going to start selling because rates are too high and um, a lot of people are going to start hurting. Basically, the people who have, over leveraged themselves and thought money would be cheap or near free forever are really, really starting to, to feel the pinch now because money is not, is not free. It, it, it costs money to, you know, like by you printing money, it doesn't actually in reality uh, make people richer. In fact, it probably makes um, the people who know what they're doing, <laughs> the people with the money already richer and then you getting your SERP payments or your whatever government paychecks that you got during the pandemic actually fueled what we now have as like not necessarily hyperinflation, but inflation that's high enough that now it's ex like super expensive to fuel up your car or to buy food. Um, this is all like sort of like, you know, we, we all snorted the cocaine. We all had a great time and now we're really feeling the after effects of it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good analogy. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if we, have, if we can keep that one on there, if we got to take it off, but we'll just, we'll just run with it for now. <laughs> no, but you're, you're absolutely right, Reno. So right now people are, are, are feeling the pinch. Um, you know, a good example is pretty much interest rates um, continually being hiked. Um, and again, to, to some people, they, don't, they might not understand what, you know, interest rates going up by half a point or one point or whatever it is. It doesn't feel like it's that much, right? Saying, hey, uh, the interest rate last year was only 2%, now it went to 2.5 or 3, 3.5. It's not that big. It's only one, you know, 1% here, half a percent there. But really on a mathematical level, from going from 2% interest rate to 4% interest rate, it means all of a sudden it costs you 100% more to borrow that money. So that's what it is. That 2% to a regular person means 2%, but realistically on a mathematical level, it costs you 100% more to borrow that same amount of dollars. So what it means is anybody who has a variable mortgage, for example, 
um, that is on a two percent. That was that was on a two percent last year. Let's say they were paying two thousand. Let's say a thousand of it was interest. Now, once that goes to two, from two to four percent, that one thousand dollar that you're paying for interest, it's costing you two thousand dollars. So the two thousand dollars that you're paying for your mortgage, none of it is actually going to principal anymore. All two thousand of that dollars only going to interest now because the rate went up. So again, I, I don't know if a lot of people un, you know, comprehend that. And in my personal opinion, I think as the rates keep going up until, uh, from what I hear, a lot of people are saying it's going to get to around the 5%, it might slow down from there. But by the time it gets to there, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be feeling the pinch when they start seeing that in their bank account, um, the, their mortgage is going up a lot more than what they, were, what they were paying just six months or a year ago. And once that happens, I truly believe there's going to be a lot of people that are going to start defaulting because uh, I read an article re recently, I think it was like one fifth of people in Canada was are a couple of hundred dollars away from not being able to make their, their mortgage payments. So that's yeah. really scary, right? So once that happens and everyone starts needs to, well, everyone starts defaulting because they're forced to sell, it's going to be like a domino effect where people have to, you know, are forced to sell their homes and everyone's you know, rushing in to try to sell their home at a better price before it gets too cheap. And once that happens, there'll be a lot, a lot of people that are, that are going to be hurting. Yeah, there's a lot of people hodling right now because they don't want to sell their house at a loss, basically. You don't want to be paying for an underwater mortgage. And what that means is you're paying off a mortgage uh, that is of higher value than what your home is worth now. <laughs> so the article that you were talking about is actually uh, one from CBC. It says, nearly one in four homeowners say they'd have to sell their home if interest rates rise anymore. And one in are four, one in that's, four, that's 25% that's of the people right now that are like ready to sell. So there's going to be a lot of homes on, you know, being on, on, on the market very soon. And, and these are like forced liquidations. These are people who don't want to sell, but need to get out of their mortgage and need to get out of being a homeowner because it's not worth it for them to, to play this game anymore. Uh, they base, I know it's too late to really say this to people, but if you've stretched yourself that thin, putting like 5% down, down payment on a house and already teetering on the edge of not being able to pay your mortgage. Um, yes, you did make a bad decision and, you know, sorry to hear that, but you know, money was not going to be this cheap forever. No, for sure not. And, and that's the thing, right? Literally. Um, just not too long, six months ago, we were hearing about people saying uh, they're overbidding for homes by 100K, 200K. I hear people just overbidding by not ever even stepping foot into the home before bidding. So all of that pretty much you know, got us to where we are today, where uh, home prices are way too high, way too overvalued. And uh, as interest rates keep going up right now, I think those people who overpaid for the homes are going to start feeling the pinch. And uh, again, it's going to be like a race to the bottom almost trying to get rid of your home before you're, you're stuck with it. Because at the end of the day, uh, if your home is worth less than what you're paying for, there's no reason you want to keep it anymore. You, I, I've heard again during the recession back in the days, people would just leave the keys, walk out and get the fuck out. Like, listen, bank, too bad. I'm sorry. I fucked up in life and I'm gone. And it's scary that it might get to that point again. Who knows? Who knows where it's going to be? You know, that's how right now I have a lot of friends asking me. So when do you think it's a good time to start buying homes again? I mean, for me, I think, in my opinion, again, it's one of those wait till interest rates kind of uh, stabilize from there. You're going to have to wait to see who are who's able to make the payments. The one who are able to make the payments, it sucks for them to pay the few hundred dollars extra. But, you know, they're able to continue. 
But the ones who are not able to make the payments, they're going to be forced to sell. And again, it's going to be a domino effect where once all these people are forced to sell and it's all listed already, I think that's when it's going to be a decent time to start buying it again. So when is it going to be? I don't know. I would say maybe a year or so after when interest rates uh, stop going up. Again, that's just my opinion. But you know, if I knew for sure what it was going to happen, I'd be super rich. But again, it's, it's anybody's guess right now with what's going on in the world. Yeah. So, so here's the real question, David, is like, when does the Federal Reserve in the US or the Bank of Canada here in Canada feel that um, they have struck a good balance between the speculation and, and being able to control, um, to, to control inflation, but also on the other hand, how much does the economy have to hurt before they stop rate, the, the rising rate rates? hikes? Honestly, it's hard to say, man. It's such a fine, fine line. It's one of those things of you're screwed if you raise interest rates and you're also screwed if you don't raise interest rates. So, I mean, seeing that interest rates have been so low for so long already, it's one of those things like, hey, let's try something different and see what happens. So as interest rates go up right now, I can't tell you what's exactly going to happen. But for sure, there's going to be a lot less speculating. Uh, There's a lot less people that's going to be borrowing money because to borrow money, it's going to cost you more. You're going to have higher risk. You're going to make less profit as well. So I guess the idea behind it is to have less people speculating and hopefully have people who are buying these homes or assets uh, because they actually really want it or need it. And, and not just one of those, I have 10 buildings under my portfolio type of things. Yeah. So actually the other day when the U.S. Federal Reserve raised uh, by a surprising uh, 75 basis points, what that actually was a very, um, that was not necessarily predicted, but at the same time they rose uh, a lot higher than what people did expect. Um, which is basically signaling the fact that the Fed is being hawkish or aggressive in trying to control inflation. And they're willing to sacrifice growth and to put us in a recession, hopefully not a de- depression, uh, in order to control inflation. So what, what this means is like, okay, they're being very aggressive because they want, they want people to stop speculating. They don't want people taking out debt that they obviously cannot afford. Um, but we're going to feel the effects of it. We're going to start seeing higher unemployment rates. We're going to start seeing massive layoffs, which you've already seen in a lot of tech sectors already. And um, it's going to be a world of hurt for a lot of people who, you know, turns out never had the ability to pay off stuff in the first place. So when do they stop raising these rates and how much hurt does the economy have to go through before they stop raising rates. And and this also hurts the government too, Dave, because when they raise interest rates, the government's in a lot of debt too. So public sector debt has a huge implication on this too, because the more they raise the rates, uh, you know, all the debt that they printed during COVID is also on their books too. Yeah, technically right now, they're, they're really trying to catch up with this whole inflation thing, right? So to give you an idea, I think the last time they raised um, interest rate by three quarters of a point was in 1994. So what is like 28 years ago? Is that what it is? It, 28. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's 28 mm-hmm. years ago since the last time that they raised it by that much. So again, right now they do notice that, Hey, inflation is, is, you know, off the charts right now, because for, for the longest time also they're like, Oh no, no, it's not a big issue. The whole inflation thing, it's going to fix itself up. 
But right now they see and notice that no, the cost of everything is way too high. Uh, people's salaries are not, you know, keeping up with it at all. And um, people are hurting it right now. People are hurting a lot. Like, honestly, like, like you said, filling up a gas tank back I, I hear like it's uh, what, what cost them $100 to fill up a whole tank before is $200 today. It, it's really gone up by that much. Um, so yeah, people are hurting. Uh, but at the same time, do I think it's time to start buying and investing in all these things yet? In my opinion, again, I don't think so. Usually the, the investment term is, you know, buy when there's blood in the streets. And I don't know if there's enough blood yet. I know, I know it sounds really like, you know, mean or bad to say that, but I don't think there's enough blood on the streets yet. Well, there's also uh, a term that traders use is don't catch a falling knife, which is which basically means that you don't want to be caught buying something when there's blood on the streets, when there's going to be more blood coming down the streets. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be flooded. That's, I don't know, it's very scary to think and say this. And, and again, I'm not, I'm usually not a pessimist. Um, I like to think I'm more of a realist, right? So again, it's, it's really just simple math and economics, the way you look at things. Like the cost of everything is too high. People don't have enough money. Homes are too expensive. What's going to happen? It's going to be like a recession or depression. And that's just how I see it. But it's unfortunate. Some people I talk to, they're still very um, naive to it. They think, no, 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 it's not a problem. I see people spending money everywhere. It's not a problem. There's nice cars here. There's nice things there. I'm like, yeah, that's very true. But all these guys are buying it on borrowed money also, just so you know, like they, they, it's not using their cash in their account. They are using it all off credit, right? So as they're buying all these things um, on credit when it was at one, 2%, and now it's at four or 5%, it's going to be a big difference for them. There's going to be a lot less buying going on. I mean, the other way to sort of look at this is to take a glass half full kind of perspective on it. And, and yes, you know, there will be generational type of investments that you can make when this is, you know, at the bottom. Now, the hard part about this is we don't know where the bottom is. However, there's many, many great opportunities in certain tech stocks, in certain cryptocurrencies that do look attractive as things keep falling and start becoming more um, realistic according to whatever like uh, like balance sheets for for like a tech company. So you know there there are opportunities in a mess like this. It's just a matter of timing. And if we were all good timers, we'd all be rich. So this is the the thing that you'd have to make for yourself is just like be able to be comfortable. Um, buying things when you feel comfortable doing it so and doing your research so obviously none of us can predict when the bottom is and when's a good time to buy so that's why um you know a, a good strategy when it comes to purchasing stocks or even crypto is a uh, dollar cost averaging right so let's say every single month you say i'm going to set aside i don't know five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars to buy buy certain stocks or whatever it is um, that way, you know, you don't have to stress if, is this the, was this the perfect time that I buy? Is it, was it too high? Was it too low? Just keep buying on average every X amount of dollars every single month. That way, after a year, two years, um, you know, you'll, you'll have a decent average is what it is. So I think, you know, that's a pretty decent way of investing without having to think or stress too much or worry too much. Uh, that's kind of the way I do it also just again. So I don't have to think or worry. It's just, I put it in and it's money that I don't need right away. And at, at the end of the day, a lot of wealth is made uh, during these really rough times as well, right? So you just have to be smart and have the balls to invest when it's kind of looking like nobody is trying to invest. Again, as scary as, that, as, scary as it is, and it sounds to invest money while all these stocks are dropping, 
I, again, I still think it's a good time to buy just because if you look at the stock market over time, it always keeps going back up. Uh, maybe not in the next year, two years, but give it five, 10 years, um, everything goes back up again. So, I mean, if we follow history, technically it will go back up when I can't tell you. Yeah. Um, but before I, we go into this next topic, I, I just want to preface that I'm, I'm not a supporter of any sort of political party per se. Yeah. Uh, I'm more of a policy type of person in which, you know, some policies make sense on one side and some policies make sense on the other side. And um, with this, there was actually just a article released today about how Canada um, is looking to fight the inflation and our finance minister, Christian Freeland, who seemingly does not know much about finance, is looking to detail $8.9 billion in measures to tackle affordability by spending more money that we don't have. <laughs> so to explain what this means, by, by whenever they, you know, the governments create more money, pump more money into an economy, again, as much as you think as yes, it's a good thing because there's more money, really how you have to look at it is that the pie just got a lot bigger and the slice of pie that you previously owned just became smaller. That's really what it is, right? So, I mean, there's more money in the economy, but again, everything's going to cost more money. So, I mean, I think we got into this, you know, fiasco we're in right now because we pumped so much money into the economy. So he's he wants to pump more money into the economy to try to fix this problem, which is quite interesting. So printing money or, or the, the saying is printing your problems away is definitely not something that is ever recommended because by you printing more money, it doesn't necessarily mean like the goods and services that you're creating is also going up. In fact, you're actually just diluting, you know, the pie more, which is what, what you were explaining. So this is exactly what causes inflation. Um, when you have more money in the system and less goods and services to actually, you know, buy. So when the government decides to spend more money, uh, create money out of thin air uh, to give people, you know, whatever affordability benefits so that they can, you know, keep food on the table. Yes, it might sound great in terms of a social policy, but when it comes to a financial policy, someone's got to pay for that, you know, and, um, and this is the problem with, um, with the way government policies are structured sometimes is at the forefront, it looks like they're actually helping you, but they're actually the reason why we're in this mess. So right now, I mean, it sounds like we're just in a big, big, huge mess. There's, I don't know if there's any way to get out of it. It's one of those, again, you're pumping money in, you're in trouble. You don't pump money in and people are starving. So at the end of the day, I don't know how we're going to solve this problem. I don't know if it's a matter of just giving it time and allowing, you know, things to tumble and fall where they may be and kind of like let the strong survive is, is kind of how it was always supposed to be, I think it was. But and then as governments kept pumping money and putting money into bad companies and business to help them survive, um, that just made a bigger issue, right? So again, it's one of those, you know, supporting businesses and industries that should not be around anymore and allowing this mess to get, you know, a small mess into a much bigger mess. Yeah, so if you are a business or an entrepreneur, uh, right now is, is a really good time to sort of reflect and really look at yourself in the mirror, look at your books, 
and just basically see if this is something, is this a money-making business? Because if you're not cash flow positive, you are basically living off of someone else's dime. So businesses that are not generating any money uh, should really look at themselves hard in the mirror and make some very hard decisions, whether that is cutting your burn rate by laying people off, which, which you are definitely seeing in a lot of tech sectors right now. Um, like we, you can't necessarily afford to keep paying people when you don't have a profitable business. And that's just the reality of how business works. You know, like leaders will have to make very, very tough decisions in the next few months. Um, and if that includes, you know, having to lay people off, that is unfortunately a choice that you'd have to make as a CEO for your company to survive. Absolutely. So, I mean, again, kudos to the CEOs that can, you know, make those decisions to, you know, to allow their company to survive this uh, recession, depression. But again, there's going to be casualties uh, from here, right? All the people who are going to be laid off, um, all the people who, <clears throat> and these are all high paying jobs as well, right? And depending on how their finances were uh, prior to this, did they over leverage themselves as well? Did they think that they were going to stay in this comfy position of a job making, you know, $150,000 a year continually forever? And now they're at $0. Um, so now that's, that's a really scary question as to what do all these people do? What do all their families do? And what does it mean again for, you know, real estate, meaning their, their homes that they bought, uh, will they be able to pay for it? Or is it going to be, you know, a, a fire sale because everyone just got laid off. So if, if you're laid off and you can't pay your mortgage, it means you're forced to sell going back to that whole, you know, it's going to be a domino effect when that happens. So as much as, you know, the whole world and the economy is hurting right now, I don't think we're near the bottom yet. Like it's so shitty to say that just because I know and see how rough it is out there already. Uh, but I really do think it's going to need like another couple of years till we hit the bottom. And uh, once all of these, you know, shitty companies that shouldn't be around that borrowed so much money to stay afloat are gone. Um, and people start realizing, Hey, maybe I shouldn't be buying a million dollar home for the one or two of us that are living there. Maybe there'll be a lot less, uh, you know, supercars that people are buying a lot less fancy watches people are buying. And, uh, you know, hopefully bring a lot of people back down to earth and saying, Hey, I'm actually not as rich as I thought I was. And, uh, maybe it's kind of a, a good cleanse in a way, right. Kind of humbling for people to say, Hey, I'm not as rich as I thought I am. And I got to take my shit down a few notches now. So again, it may not be the worst thing in the world, to be honest. Well, yeah, for sure. It's, it's bringing a lot of valuations back into reality. Like I, I believe at some point, even Tesla itself, as great of a company it is, it was probably um, the stock price is probably trading at, I believe like 50 to a hundred times more than their price to earnings ratio. Like this is basically like, it, it's crazy that like people are willing to buy a stock of which, you know, like is valued at something like 50 to a hundred times more than what they're actually making. Like, like these sort of sky high valuations made no sense during that time. Um, and these are the sort of like indicators where it's like, guys, like, well, why are you paying such a premium for, for a stock? Like Tesla is a great company, but you're, you're, you're paying a hefty premium for their stock. So with, with crypto and stocks the past couple of years, I don't know if it was more of like a, I'm investing into this company because the company makes sense, the valuation makes sense, and I believe in the company, or if it was more of like a FOMO. 
Meaning, hey, this you know, Tesla stock is going to go up. If I don't buy it now, it's only going to keep going up and then it's going to cost me more later. So the more people that FOMO'd into it, the higher the prices went. And uh, for the past couple of years, I think that's kind of taken us to where we are right now. And um, now I think all the people who kind of FOMO'd in and the, the smarter investors are selling it because like, you know what? The, the, the party is over is what it is. The party is over, guys. Free, cheap money is gone. I'm going to get out of here before you guys know what's happening. And I think that's kind of where we are right now is where, um, you know, institutional investors, they are smart money. They're probably out of it. I don't know, probably around November for all you know. And uh, there's a lot of people right now that are still, you know, like you mentioned, catching falling knives, right? You see something like Netflix being down, you know, 40, 50%. You're like, shit, that's got to go back up at some point. You can't keep going, you know, go down that much. But when you really look at the graph of, of all these stocks and even the uh, S&P and all of them, the past like five years of, of how high it's gotten, how quickly uh, is really unsustainable. It's really unsustainable. That's why when I keep looking at it, I'm just like, it doesn't make any sense how much um, value was added into the stock market in such a short amount of time when really not much was created from it other than people speculating. So that's yeah. kind of where we are right now, right? So that's why even though with Netflix, you know, dropping 70, 80% or whatever it is, from the all-time high, I think right now it's near the levels of where it was before the pandemic. So when you really think about it, you can kind of just say it, it erased the gain from the past couple of years. It didn't tank yet. So that's why to me, again, still, there's not blood in the streets yet. It's just erasing the past couple of years and then let it drop below what it was pre-pandemic. Then that's when I feel like, okay, that's where the real valuation is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and what's um, very interesting is when you invest in a company, you should really, of course, look at their, their public statements. And um, I guess a lot of people um, did not necessarily look at it when they were investing to things like Coinbase. So Coinbase as a company derives a lot of its revenues from trading. So what happens when trading collapses because everything in crypto is collapsing? What happens to that? Well, you get a CEO there, Brian Armstrong, making really tough decisions, like laying off 18% of his workforce so that he could survive this bear market. Um, and these are the kind of things that like, you know, you'll be seeing not just from like Web3 crypto companies, but just in general. Um, and, you know, like part of when you invest, you should know some of these important numbers, these important metrics and figures before you put your money into it, but not everybody does that. Um, and then you get stuff like this happening and then, you know. Anyway, and, and it's not just, um, you know, the metrics. So I think recently I was reading where uh, in one of Coinbase's um, terms and condition where it goes pretty much, um, and again, this kind of goes back to the whole saying with crypto goes, um, what is it? Not your keys, not your coins pretty much. So yeah. on, Coinba on Coinbase, I think I saw a statement where it goes pretty much, if ever there was an issue where they needed to liquidate and they had to clear out everything to pay debt, whatever coins or, you know, of whatever they're holding, though it's yours, they're allowed to use that and liquidate it and pay off whatever they owe. So I read that, like, I think it literally was like two weeks ago. I'm like, wow, is that really, is that possible? Is that really a thing? But again, like for them, they're able to write whatever they want. And most people will not read anything and just, they'll just go into it. So again, all to say, be very careful wherever you put your money, your coins, because again, um, you can't trust these people like fully in that sense, especially when it comes down to your money, right? Like it's hard to get back your money. 
Well, the whole point of crypto was to eliminate the sort of uh, third party risk that you expose yourself to when you give your money to other people. So uh, I don't know how many of our listeners have ever experienced or know much about how a bankruptcy sort of uh, thing works. But basically, the procedures for how a bankruptcy works is that certain people are able to claim, uh, um, like claim assets of the company of whatever's left before other people. So the thing that they basically disclosed in their public statements was basically saying that assets or digital assets specifically that are put into Coinbase's books are to be used as bankruptcy like assets and proceedings. So what they're saying is when you, if Coinbase was ever to go bankrupt and they start doing bankruptcy proceedings, certain people will get their hands on those assets before other people. And guess what? Crypto holders who put their coins into Coinbase basically do not have any sort of entitlement to the coins and and the debt um, that would be like sort of distributed in the you're pretty much the the, the, yeah you're pretty much the last person to collect any money left like all these other big guys are collecting their money before you get to you get to collect back anything and and again it's easy to put money in taking it out is going to be a hell of a time especially if they're going through uh, bankruptcy right so be very careful where you guys put your money please don't just trust anybody and everything exactly not your keys not your coins the only way to ensure your crypto is safe is in a self-hosted wallet so a wallet that you control the keys to, and that's it. Not even necessarily in like a DeFi platform or not in Celsius, not in BlockFi, none of those things. You have to hold the crypto under your own wallets with your own keys. Absolutely. So you know what? Let's switch it up a little bit and talk about something a bit more interesting in the sense of more positive and less negative. Um, the Ethereum merge updates. That's something that we've been waiting for how many years? I mean, we've been talking about for years and years and years. And I know this is something you're working directly on also, right, Phil? Yeah, so I don't know if any of you guys out there work in software development or anything like that, but the only way to ever accurately predict a, a software release or a roadmap of developing software is by having a crystal ball. (laughs) And nobody has any of those. So yes, the merge has been delayed for quite a while now. Yes, we've been um, pushing it. However, we are getting very, very, very close. Um, We're at the point now where basically all the specifications required are pretty much frozen. So what that means is there's going to be no more major changes to how the merge will happen. Now, a lot of it is transitioned into um, testing and to fix any sort of impending issues we may encounter. Um, So running through these test nets, basically, we are able to, I like to replicate something that would happen on mainnet, which is when the merge will, 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 will actually happen eventually. But we are one of three test nets through at the moment. Okay. Um, if that gives you a good indication as to like, like what that roadmap looks like is the second of the three test nets will be merging shortly, the third one afterwards, and then the, there will be a period of time where we will allow people to update 
their software, their clients on Ethereum, and then we will do the merge together, hopefully September. September. I, it's, it's, I was going to ask you, I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of talk. I just wanted to know when it's going to happen. So September is what the rough idea is. I, I know it's always scary to put a date because you're, uh, you know, this, you're setting yourself up for potential failure. You're saying, hey, September came around and you didn't do it yet. Here's my opinion. And this is very different depending on who you talk to. It's always good to have targets, but I would not put my chips on a target. I would love to put like, you know, um, I guess like my faith into yeah. a target, but I would not necessarily bet money on it because no, for sure. It's always nobody. nice to have a target, just at least to know if yeah. you're, 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 you're reaching there, how hard you're working. You're kind of just like letting it sloppily pass by. No, for sure. Having a target is good. Um, but again, it's just unfortunate because every time that target is missed, you have a whole bunch of people that start shitting on you. And that's not fun when people start busting your balls, shitting on you, saying, oh, you guys didn't do this. You guys didn't do that. You said you promised you would. It's been one delay after the next. But like you said, with all the software updates and changes, there's no guarantees. Um, you know, one little small difference of a change completely changes the outcome of everything. Yeah. And, and one of the things to just be very, very um, open and honest about is our priority is to ensure that the merge goes smoothly that is much more important than rushing software. So at the end of the day, if, if it is a concern of safety, especially because we are basically migrating a 300, well, probably not anymore, but $300 billion network <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> into another, into something as critical as, as uh, the merge, we should probably do this the right way and not the fast way is sort of the idea behind this. And this is why the merge has always been pushed because there needs to be some sort of certainty between all the teams that things will not break. So with the merge right now, so I mean, do you wanna give me a few points as to like what are the main um, things that's gonna change or be affected once it fully does merge properly? Let's say September happens, bam, magically here it is, here we are now the merge has happened. So what should we be expecting when that happens? Like layman's term, Phil, layman's term though. Yeah, <laughs> layman's terms here. Here's something simple yeah, yeah. for the people who are users of Ethereum. Yeah. It won't change the anything, like the way that you do things will not change. Okay. It will feel exactly the same as a user. You want to trade tokens on Uniswap. You want to, um, you know, utilize a layer two. You want to use a dApp. It, it'll basically feel the same for you. The only difference is for people who are actually <coughs> mining in uh, mining Ethereum. So you will not actually be able to mine Ethereum anymore. All those GPUs will be useless for Ethereum. And so that's one of the good things for the, um, for the environment, right? So that's one of the main reasons why we're having this is to uh, avoid needing to use all the GPU electricity to be mining it. Correct. This is where a lot of the energy savings comes from is the fact that you will not need to run mining farms of GPUs or ASIC devices, like any device that is basically expending a ton of electricity to secure the network, those are all gone. So what that gets replaced with are something called validators. So validators, instead of using electricity and, and hardware uh, specifically to do the the, the crypto economic game that allows you to make money off mining, 
now instead of using that electricity and hardware, you actually like put forth a stake. So you have like a stake that you put forward that you risk in order to secure the network. And that amount was what, 32 Ethereum to become uh, for one validator, right? Correct. So to, to be able to fund one validator for yourself, you require 32 Ether. And at these prices, it's probably around like 32,000 USD. Yeah, it's about there. I mean, I mean, the price of uh, Ethereum is about a thousand, give or take a little bit more uh, compared to when it was the peak at what, 4,000? I think it was 4,000 some bit. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, somewhere around there. So with the merge pretty much now, uh, what I read was that what it reduces the you know electrical use by like 99% now. Is, is that the idea behind it? So that's why it's a much more eco-friendly, environmentally friendly um, coin compared to Bitcoin, because that is still using the old school way of uh, GPU electricity to solve these mathematical problems. And that's what's the whole world is saying, oh, it's bad for the for the environment. Correct. Like you can run um, hundreds of validators on one machine, really. Like um, it's it's not as like a resource intensive comparatively to to uh, like mining at this point. So um, you'd be able to get better security guarantees for less of a cost. Um, so back then it was mining and now it's pretty much you, you're staking it, you become a validator. And how do you get paid? Is it like it's randomized that you get rewarded for being a, st- a validator staker or how does that work now? How do you get paid? Yeah. So basically there are two things that are, um, that are like two main duties as a validator on the Ethereum network. You are either proposing blocks or you are um, attesting to blocks. So those two duties generate uh, money that gets uh, created in the system for the duties that, that, that you have, which is to secure the network by doing those two things. Okay. And then also I think one of the other changes I hear about it is that it's supposed to be uh, extra deflationary now because they are reducing, what, what, how does that work again for, the, for that film? Yeah. So, um, so what was called EIP-1559, this is actually a mechanism change in the way that block space, uh, which is, you know, like the, 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 the amount of space in a block that gets produced, um, the way that you bid for that slot is different now. So before it used to be what was called a first price auction model, which basically says the higher the fee that you pay, the likelier you will get your transaction included because the incentive is that these block producers want to make as much money as possible. So if you're willing to pay a higher fee, you will get your transaction in. Of course. However, now that model has changed to to a, a more elastic type of model in which you now have what is called a base fee. So the base fee is set by the protocol itself based on how full blocks are on the network. So the more full the blocks are, the higher the the base gas price is because obviously there's a lot of traffic on the network. You need to increase the price for that space. Yeah. So the idea is now it's much more elastic. So the base fee basically allows you to um, better price um, the current fee for getting your transaction into the block. 
Okay, so again, so that this really is um, better for users long term as well, and making it so it's not one of those um, a cash grab where someone says, "I have more money, I'm gonna pay more to the to the miner so that my transaction gets ahead of this other guy who only wants to pay the minimum fee." So it's it's making it a lot more fair for everybody to use. Fair, but also predictable. Um, okay. Because now you don't have to guess as to um, like how much it costs to get a transaction into the blockchain. Now there is like a base fee, which tells you how much as a minimum you need to pay. Uh, so no longer are you overpaying for transactions as well, because it's very hard to estimate, you know, how much should I pay to get my transaction in? So what I'm gathering from all of this, at least, is that even though with it being the crypto winter that we're going through right now, prices are down, um, people and companies are still working on all of this stuff. They're still working on Ethereum. They're still working on developing. They're still, it, you know, as much as people are saying crypto is dead, it's not literally dead. There are still tens of thousands or hundreds, I don't know if it's hundreds here, tens of thousands of yeah. people still continually working on this every day, every night. So again, as much as it sucks seeing Bitcoin going from 69, 70,000 to I think it's 21,000 today, there are still people working on it and continually going. And it's just a matter of giving it time before um, hopefully the prices pick back up again. Right. But at the end of the day, people are still working on uh, the crypto industry. Right. There, there is a lot of innovation that's still happening. Um, you know, the markets does affect it to a certain degree, but, you know, the innovation won't stop. And just to, um, you know, answer the original question that you had, David, in regards to deflation, um, the, the mechanism now that I explained earlier uh, basically has another mechanism that's called, um, that burns Ethereum based on the, the base fee. So with this new mechanism imposed, there is definitely, there is an additional function in which Ethereum is burned by the protocol, which reduces supply. And when you reduce supply of something, very likely the price of things go up. So meaning the pie yeah. is getting smaller and whatever you're holding on to, your slice technically became bigger. Exactly. So this is the idea of, of by having these mechanisms, the sort of um, the usage of Ethereum determines how much uh, Ethereum is burned each block. And the more people that use it, the more that gets burnt, the more deflationary it gets, right? Because now it's, um, you're burning more. You're burning more than you're actually creating in the inflation of the system. So technically you are actually deflating in which each Ethereum becomes worth more. And that is the theory behind that. So all to say, in your opinion, keep buying Ethereum. <laughs> I do not offer any financial advice officially, but from the way that I analyze the mechanics of how Ethereum works, it makes sense to me that I should be acquiring uh, more Ether. <laughs> fair, that's fair. All right, so to wrap it up, um, pretty much the whole podcast is avoid scammers on Instagram. Interest rates are going to keep going up. There's probably going to be a recession and depression going on. We're in a crypto winter, but hey, with the Ethereum merge, it's not the end of crypto yet. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. That's right. There's, there's still a lot of innovation happening. Um, and, you know, go out there, take care of yourselves. Make sure to not overstretch your pocket. 
you know, don't do things which uh, utilizes other people's money or even utilizing leverage on your own money to do things because it is super, super dangerous. Be very careful for the next few months. Um, and uh, hopefully you come out on top uh, after this bear market. Yeah. And, and last little financial advice here for anybody who's asking what to do with money they have right now. If you have any debt, pay it off because that debt is going to keep getting higher because interest rates keep getting higher right now. So whatever money you have in your account doing nothing and you have debt, pay it off, guys. Um, that's all it is right now. That's the best and smartest way to, to use your money right now. Pay off whatever debt you had. And uh, hopefully once everything stabilizes, that's when you start reinvesting again. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully it's going to be uh, not too far away before the whole economy starts recovering again, Phil. Right. And remember, none of this is financial advice. No, it's Do just our opinion. Research. Do your own research. Absolutely. Again, thank you guys for listening to our podcast. We appreciate it. And again, if ever you have any questions, comments, feel free to message us at any point of time. Um, that's really the main reason why we did this episode also, just because we both got so many messages recently regarding um, all these topics we brought up. So again, without your questions and your comments, we wouldn't be coming up with more episodes. So please message us. Don't be shy. We are here to help you answer whatever questions you have. Help us help you make more episodes. <laughs> Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much again. Take care, everybody. Be safe. Be smart.